the top of your bulletin, we have a title that said Celebration of Communion or Holy Communion. And every week, uh, we call it the Celebration of Worship. And I wonder if you've ever reflected on why it's called Celebration. Traditionally, years ago, it was always called worship service, or the Catholics call it Mass. We feel it's much more accurate with the New Testament to call this gathering a celebration, which implies joy, a party atmosphere, um, smiles, exuberance. And the reason being that we're coming here to celebrate what this table represents. God has done something profound for all of us. He's provided a way for us to get rid of our guilt, to restore our relationship with the Holy God and to be whole and healthy people. I want to offer today part two of our discussion of two weeks ago, if you were here, you heard it, in which we talk to believers who feel frustrated with our lack of spiritual progress in spite of years and years at church and 100,000 worship services we've attended and Bible studies. People who follow Jesus, who take the name Christian and who still sit in worship with a self-image something like this. How can the Lord use a person like me, with a past like mine, one who has said and done what I've done and continue to do? In fact, sometimes it's so bad, we wonder if we're even Christians. I want to affirm that God's spiritual standard for his people is still perfection, a spotless record, a flawless past, impeccable morality, a complete absence of wrong. The problem is who can qualify. And when a preacher gets up and only lays out a standard like that, all we can do is either fall into hypocrisy and pretend we're like that or fall into despair and say, I'm never going to reach it. And there's got to be something in between. And that something is this table and the grace that it represents that we as Christians have a very difficult time fully understanding. Jesus delights in surprising the world with what he can do with imperfect people like you and me. And he does that surprise by giving us this incredible gift called mercy and forgiveness and grace. Psalm 51 is a record of how King David, a man with the title, a man after God's own heart, the epitome of what God wants a human being to be, how this man discovered divine forgiveness and healing after committing Horrible sins, things that probably would match anything we can talk about today. If you remember, his story begins with this great anguish of heart, and it ends with hope and worship, and that's what I trust will be the end result of our time here to get together this morning. Our text was born when Nathan the prophet came and put his finger right in the face of the king and said, David, you're guilty of adultery and murder. I want to study his roadmap back from failure, back from guilt to wholeness. And, it, and it's this process that Christianity is all about. It's what this table means. A first step toward finding wholeness after failure is the wonderful thing that we can be honest with God. He can handle who we are and what we've done. Listen to David's prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight. Notice he doesn't try to dress up in front of God, put on a mask of holiness, without making any excuses, without putting the blame on anybody else. David confessed to God, I'm a sinner. I blew it, I did it, and there's nothing I can do about it. 
a common obstacle for many of us in discovering this healing grace that Jesus would give to everyone is the difficulty in being honest because we don't know what God's going to do if, he, if we tell him all this stuff as if he didn't already know. The wonderful thing about God is he knows us inside and out. We're not going to surprise him with any confession we make. Obviously, we all sin. We all do things we can't forget and that we can't go back and fix. That's our human situation. But you know, we have choices in terms of how we deal with our guilt, and this is the crux of the matter. Like many Christians, we can become obsessed with our failures, and we can sit in church living with remorse and feelings like, if only, or I should have, or God can't possibly love and forgive me. And there's lots of those kind of feelings, especially on a Mother's Day weekend. Or we can claim we're victims. We can make excuses for our behavior, blame extenuating circumstances or other people. In other words, God, I'm really not so bad. It was your fault for allowing me to be in these circumstances, so I'm not guilty, you are. Or we can be honest with God. We can take personal responsibility for our behavior, confess it, openly to God, and then get rid of it by accepting his forgiveness and believing that he alone can heal and restore us, no matter how broken we might be. You couldn't be any more broken than David was. I love David's honesty with God in his prayer of confession. Do you notice? He understands his need not for God's justice. He doesn't want justice. He'd be in hell. His need for God's mercy, asking God to wash away his transgressions because he can't fix them. He realized there was no way he could undo what he had done. His only solution was to be pardoned, to have it washed away. And then he realizes his sin hurt others and himself, but ultimately his sin hurt God. It was an ugly stain on his soul, and he couldn't forget it, and he couldn't make himself clean, and therefore he asks for the one cure, divine mercy, against you and you alone I've sinned. And with this insight, he asks for forgiveness on the basis of mercy, because he de knows he deserves nothing, and neither do you, neither do I. Aware that his sin is the fruit of his sinful heart, not a surface issue to be treated with a Band-Aid, he asks God for a new heart. Now, this is where the relevance of Jesus comes in, in this table. We said two weeks ago something very important. The day we become a Christian, we're as righteous as we ever will be. Jesus gives us by faith, as a free gift, his righteousness. So if we went to heaven that day, when God saw us, he would judge us to be as righteous as his son because we're covered with the righteousness of Jesus. But when we become a Christian and continue living, that doesn't mean we become instantly holy. It becomes a journey. A journey toward Christ-likeness, or if you wish, a journey toward a new heart, a new character, and that's what David was praying for. We grow into it over a lifetime with lots of detours. And the reason that David could dare pray for it was that God gave David forgiveness and a new character on the basis of what his son Jesus would do in the future on the cross. And he gives you a new character and a new heart today on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross in the past. I don't understand that. We had a real intellectual discussion. How could the death of someone 2,000 years ago hanging on a cross give us a new heart, character, and forgiveness? I don't know. That's the mystery of our faith, and that's what makes it so beautiful. I don't have to understand it. I accept it in faith, and it transforms me and transforms you and transformed David. You know, 
if we really could boil down Christianity to its essence of why this worship is a celebration and why we should be people of joy, it's this, that you and I are on a journey as Christians to become like Jesus. We're going to continually fail, and God's grace, forgiveness, and new beginnings follow our failure all the time, over and over again. And that's why Jesus instituted this table, and he said, you're going to keep doing this until I come. Why? Because he knew we would keep sitting until he comes. And we've got to come back and bathe in the blood of Jesus, very literally, here in communion, so we get a new beginning, so we aren't discouraged and driven to despair by our failure. I think that's the most wonderful news in the world, this first truth. You can be honest with God. He already knows all about you, and he loves you today as much as he ever will. And if you get more righteous, he isn't going to love you anymore. But you're going to be a happier, more whole person as you continue your journey. The Bible says if we confess our sins, if we're honest, he's faithful, he's just, and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What God wants from you today is the desire to be like Jesus. Not a perfect track record because you can't have it and it's a blasphemy for any preacher to ever say you're going to have it. That's good news, I think. That's worth a party if you think about it. Especially if you're someone who's suffered with guilt. A second step to wholeness after failure is to trust that God will respond to our confession with mercy rather than wrath. You know, more and more when I, I try to mix with Christians, uh, non-Christians outside, kind of looking in at us, I often wonder, why don't you come to church? And you know, one of the reasons they don't come, they're frightened. They're really frightened of God. And they're almost frightened of us because they think we're some holy group in here and God is really holy and they don't fit. And they're almost afraid to come and face what they think they deserve. I think most of us in church have a difficult time understanding mercy because we know what we deserve, at least the honest among us. And that's why we go on attempting to <clears throat> pay somehow, to atone. If we could just read the Bible a little more and pray a little more and come a little more often to church and try to do a few more good things during the week, somehow we might tip the scales and that God's going to let us in anyway in spite of our sin. I need to tell you this. The basis of our Christian joy is all attempts to fix yourself and undo what you've done and what I've done will only drive you to despair. There's one way we get fixed, and David prayed it. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The only way we get fixed is literally Jesus lets us off the hook. He washes us with the righteousness of his own son that was shed on the cross for us. The act of God blotting out your sin and mine is a mystery. You know, when I was in seminary, I've told you this before, most modern theologians don't even want to mention the blood of Jesus. You'll notice in all the modern hymnals, there's not one hymn about the blood of Jesus. And I thought the devil's really had his day because there's no way to fix ourselves apart from the blood of Jesus. That sounds kind of gory for the, the modern times. It sounds archaic. But you know, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. I don't understand it. I just believe the Bible says it, and this be, the table offers it, and that's the way to get fixed from guilt. And so we celebrate today in communion the glorious fact that God's mercy is real, forgiveness happens, Hyssop was a sponge-like plant that grew in Israel used to apply animal blood to sacrifices, and that never took away guilt. But in the same way today, Jesus again 
through the centuries in some kind of cosmic transaction I don't understand, covers us with his blood and we are as righteous as he is. Remember that great hymn, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Of course the evil one would love to get rid of hymns that say that because then we go do it on our own and we can take pride. Look, I fixed myself. We can't fix ourselves. We're hopeless and that's why we need a savior and the good news is he saved us. Now, if that sounds kindergartenation, kind of too simple, that's God's word, folks, and don't make it any more complicated. This is the gift of new beginnings, and this is what restores our joy. This is what gives us a clean heart and a clear conscience. And how can you put a price tag on a gift like that? It is too good to be true. It's too simple. And the very thought of forgiveness should fill us with joy. Now, I, I want to point out just for a moment, because it's Mother's Day, and because so many called this week, and so many mothers even said, I'm not going to be there this weekend because I can't stand the guilt. Do we understand? Whether it be guilt about mothering, guilt about fathering, guilt about parenting, guilt about anything. This table says Jesus died for our failures. And all we have to do is reach out and he covers us with his blood and we have a brand new beginning. The past is gone. The delete button has been pushed. Our sins are never brought up again. They're over, gone. And we can leave here brand new people with a new beginning. That's terrific. I love to preach it. So this leads us to the third step toward wholeness after failure. We've got to reclaim our joy. You know, if there's anything I want for our church... I want us to be a healthy congregation who goes out into the world not laden with guilt as the secular society thinks of Christians, not judging people, not condemning and wringing our hands about the world going to hell in a handbasket, but a group of people who've been lifted and cleansed and changed and filled with joy about what Jesus has done. Honest confession and the miracle of receiving God's forgiveness restores our joy. David prayed, verse 13, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Joy sustains us in our broken world. Here is probably the most important thing I'm going to say today. God does not want one believer to spend one moment crippled by guilt. Guilt is only good if it drives you to confession and repentance. But once confessed, God heals our brokenness, he banishes our despair, he enables us to forget our past, and therefore he fills our soul with joy to replace the agony of guilt. And if you don't have it, grab it today. Take it. It's yours. I think it's fantastic news that we can be honest with God about our failures, even if we repeat the same sin over and over and over again, because God forgives us over and over and over again. Jesus died for us. I want us as a church family to be so confident in God's mercy and grace that this day will be a day we radiate joy. That because you were in church, people in Dragers or wherever else you're going to go are saying, what's going on there? They look different. They act different. We are different. We have Jesus. It's our joy that gives us hope beyond our brokenness so that we can grow into a new beginning in spite of the past. Jesus asked Peter to forgive his enemy 70 times 7. Can we expect any less mercy from God to us? So we come now to the table and we act out the good news of the gospel. God loves and uses people not because we're perfect, not because we're antiseptically clean, but because we have the desire to be like Jesus 
and we've discovered the way of grace along our spiritual journey even when we fail. Wasn't David right when he said, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. And then Paul. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I hope we come to the table today with a sense of celebration. I think that's the reason Jesus said the first thing we're going to do in heaven is sit down at this table with him. Because that's what Christianity is all about. Not laying a bunch of uh, rules, but a lot of joy that you and I are forgiven. Grasp it today as you remember the words of Paul when he said, I delivered unto you as of first importance what I also received, how the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had broken it, he said, this is my body broken for you, so you don't have to be broken. And after the same manner also, he took the cup and he said, this new cup is the New Testament in my blood. It'll blot out your sins. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you show forth the Lord's death, the good news you're forgiven until he comes. That's why it's a celebration. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I pray that today as we partake of these symbols of you that we'll also be filled with your joy today, the joy of new beginnings, the joy of grace, particularly in our midst, those who need it, may they find it today. So this will be a day of joy, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.